as Christians, um, we are expected to have or live with hope, with an anticipation, with hopeful expectation. And we hope and believe that not only is there a transformation to come, but that transformation has begun. And so we live with a hope and an expectancy that we are being transformed. And yet, for some of us, we can look at our lives and look at certain things and wonder where that transformation is. This morning I want to share just ever so briefly my own testimony. Um, People don't often think it, but for me, preaching is a very high anxiety experience and has been for decades long. Um, But I'm here to tell you, in all honesty, there has been a shift this year. Something has changed. I have been tempted many a time to give up, just saying, when is that change coming? Or, and, or when people have thanked me uh, after having preached and you know, said something like, oh, you know, that's, that's a gift. I think, I don't know what sort of gift it is, but it's very painful. Um, and, and I know there's that cliche or that expression, you know, curled up in the fetal position. Well, I can say I have experienced that literally um, before preaching. And yet people would say that they wouldn't know that by looking at me. And so whatever you have seen, you have seen something of God. But this year there has been a transformation. I have, oh sure, I have a little bit of nerves as I get up. I feel my mouth getting dry. But, um, but the anxiety has reduced this year. This year our church ha- is on a journey exploring who the Spirit is what it means to be in union with the Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it is to live in the Spirit. And we've been looking most recently at 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And I want to encourage you that the message of hope that we are given, as we take hold of it, as we believe in it, it has the power to transform us in the now that as we take hold of the good news of God's promise of a new glory forever, as we take hold of that promise, it has the power to transform us now. So let me quickly move through our passage today. And as we heard um, Andrew and Catherine read, it was a long uh, passage, 23 verses long. And so... Let me take you through it. Normally, um, I'd always as well, always encourage you if you ever want to follow along. We do have Bibles out in the foyer as well. Um, And normally, we read from the NIV. Um, This morning, um, I asked um, Andrew and Catherine to read from the International Children's Bible. And sometimes we do that here. And so, um, there'll be a reason why I'll I'll show you something in a moment about the two translations and something that's different within them. So I'm going to be teaching from the NIV, um, so it might sound a little bit different. But last week we looked at the resurrection, and we're looking at Paul trying to commend this to the Corinthians. This is a hope, an enviable hope. And as he's doing it, we sense that there's something about the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, that, that the Corinthians don't quite believe in or can't grasp. And so... Um, 
in the very first verse of our reading today, Paul um, anticipates their concern. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And so then Paul goes on to explain, well, there's all kinds of ways we can look at this. Think of a seed. A seed looks a certain way, but then the plant looks completely different. Or think of flesh. Well, there's human flesh, but then there's birds and there's fish. They all have different kinds of flesh. Or think about the moon and the stars and the sun. And then the stars vary from one star to another star. And he's saying they're all different. And so his basic point, as he gets to the end of that, is basically you're asking what kind of body you'll be raised with. Well, it'll be a different kind of body. And the reason he's talking about this is because people could understand or believe in immortality, for those that did, but they believed in that being of a spiritual nature. It wouldn't be our bodies, that the body is corruptible, the body decays. How can that be fit for something that's incorruptible, something that's perfect, something that will go on? It's not fit for that. Well, Paul's saying, well, actually, it's a different kind of body. Listen to how C.S. Lewis puts it um, in Mere Christianity. He says, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it has got its wings, it will soar over fences which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. And so we hear C.S. Lewis here say, it's not like a human being that's going to be stronger and better. No, it's going to be a new creation. Think of a horse with wings. It's new altogether of a new order. And so, even as we hear C.S. Lewis, that's what Paul's trying to get across. This is a new kind of body. It's a different kind of body. It's going to be new. So that's why you can take hold of this resurrection from the dead. That's why it's not just a spiritual resurrection or our spirits being raised. No, this is a bodily resurrection. And if you're wondering why this is so important for us to look at and why it was so important for the Corinthians to get it, it's because God wants us to know that matter matters. That the material, physical world that God has created matters to him. He's redeemed it. He's not going to do away with it. He's redeemed it. The scriptures talk about a new heavens and a new earth. So matter matters. And so if matter matters in eternity, if matter matters in the kingdom of God, then matter matters now. Our physical world, our physical beings matter now to God. And this is why it's so important for Paul to get this across to the Corinthians. But what was it exactly that was particularly objectionable about a resurrected physical body? As I mentioned, it's it's that idea of the... The body was considered sometimes that which was corruptible, decaying, perishable. And and so heavens or the heaven or the supernatural was considered, oh, that's the real stuff. That's what we really want. 
and we don't need to worry about the physical. But Paul's keen to teach them otherwise. But before I commend this idea, I now need to say that in our reading there were a couple of things that might make us think the reverse of the point that Paul, I believe, is making and the point that I'm making. So I'm saying matter matters and the physical matters, but I just want to show you now a couple of verses which almost sound like the opposite. But um, So look closely. So when we had the um, a reading today read from the International Children's Bible, the translation translated something in a way that might not might have confused us. And so if you look at it closely, it says... Um, it says in verse 44, the body that is planted is a physical body. When it is raised, it is a spiritual body. There is a physical body and there is also a spiritual body. Now it's translated a, a particular word in Greek as physical and that might not be quite the best translation in that moment. And so the moment it does that, it pits physical against spiritual. And in one sense, I understand why they've done that, because they want to show you the difference between one thing and another thing. But for us, the moment we think of physical, we think of physical. We think of material. And then we think of spiritual as the opposite of that. But you'll see the NIV has translated it differently, and it says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so when you pit those two words against each other, you might get more an idea of, well, this is what's natural, but then there's going to be something supernatural that takes place. So it's not that the physical is wrong, but something supernatural is going to happen. And so, um, as I've decided to point this out, it's also then important for me to just, this is a side note, just say that sometimes people get hung up on translations. They think, oh, this is the best translation and all the others are no good. Actually, I don't think that's right at all. It's a far more complex than that. And it's actually good to read from a variety of translations at times because you can see things and get insights that you can't otherwise see. In fact, the International Children's Bible was far more easier to listen to, actually, than some other translations. It just flowed a lot more better. And so, just again, just a quick side note. I always used to wonder about translations and nobody ever explained anything to me. But if you would look at a scale, on one end of the scale is almost like a literal translation. They're trying to translate word for word the Greek or the Hebrew into English word for word. At the other end of the scale, you've got... They're really trying to grasp the meaning. What's, what's the meaning or the, or the thought here? And they're translating thought for thought. And then there are some translations that sit in the middle. Um, And so we read usually from the NIV, and that's the one we normally teach from. But as I'm preparing a sermon, I'll probably print out uh, the translation of a more literal translation, just to check some of my things. So that's a side note. But it was important to point that out. And there's one more verse that needs to be pointed out that is also difficult. And this, even the NIV translates it as it does. But this isn't a translation issue. This is a context issue. So in verse 50... It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now again, it sounds like the point I'm trying to make is is undone, because it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But this is a context issue. In the New Testament, when you hear the words flesh 
And sometimes when you hear the words world, they're talking about um, sometimes that which is opposed to God, the flesh and the world, things that are either opposed to God or in rebellion to God. But sometimes the context is different. So, so in, in one verse in the Bible, it might say, those who are friends with the world are enemies of God. Now, in that context, they mean the world as in that which is in opposition to God. But then they, uh, we might read another verse which says, God so loved the world. So the world isn't bad. So it's just a matter of considering the context. And so in this context, flesh is not just necessarily something that is um, opposed to God, but also, as we've already mentioned, that which decays, that which will ruin, that which perishes. And that's why the words just after um, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And that's the point of the word flesh and blood there. Not that there won't be a a physical uh, resurrection, but rather that this physical resurrection will be an imperishable one. And so those are the quick points I just needed to make there. Um, But we then have the question of, well then, if there is going to be this transformation into a glorified body, how does this take place? Well, we have in um, verses 47 to 48... The first man was of the dust of the earth. That's a reference to Adam from Genesis, Adam and Eve. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. That's Jesus. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. So, that, so Adam was made from the dust, and from dust he will return. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. So those who are in Christ, Jesus has come from heaven. He is divine. He is eternal. He has come down to raise us up. And so, as we are in Christ, we share his nature. And so, this transformation is one that is from dishonor, weakness, and decay to enduring power and glory. And so we read those verses even um, in our reading. It says, um, the body is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And so this transformation takes place. And how? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. And so let me read very quickly a prayer from the Anglican Prayer Book of Australia. This um, is Thursday morning. Um, This prayer occurs. Almighty God, who wonderfully created us in your own image and yet more wonderfully restored us in your Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as he came to share our human nature, so we may be partakers in his divine glory. So as he came to share our human nature, so so also may we be partakers in his divine glory, who is alive and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And so Jesus, we we share in his divine glory. His divine glory is his divinity. It's his eternal nature. And so again, this is another part of the resurrection that we're looking at. It's going to be new. It's going to be glorious. 
and it's going to go on forever. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 54, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And so this transformation will be one where we go from being mortal to being immortal. And, and when this happens, we see that death has been swallowed up in victory. And last week we talked about how this was connected to Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus being raised from the dead is, is the evidence we have for our own resurrection. That Jesus became human, was able to be killed, and yet he was raised to life. And this is the promise for us. So death is not the end. This is new life forever. New glory forever. This is the promise we have. And this new glory forever is God's victory and it's our victory. God is showing that he is indeed over all things. Nothing is going to separate God from those whom he loves. Not death not sin, not evil, nothing is going to separate him from those he loves. This is his victory. New glory forever. It's one kind of glory to be made in the image of God. It's another kind of glory to be restored and recreated. It's a new glory, a glory that will go on forever. This is God's victory and it's our victory. And yet even as my testimony that I shared just at the start, sometimes we don't feel victorious. Decades long I have waited for a shift and a change and there are many other things that I still struggle with and I I don't know whether I have to wait till I see Jesus before some of those things will change. I do not know. But I know that we are supposed to take hold of this promise of new glory forever. And as we take hold of it, it changes things now. And sometimes our bodies may even feel like, well, where's this transformation? Where is this wholeness? Let me finish C.S. Lewis's quote because I didn't finish it. So it reads, Of course, once it has got its wings, that's the horse, It will soar over fences which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. But there may be a period while the wings are just beginning to grow when it cannot do so. It can't do those things. It can't jump. It can't fly. And at that stage, the lumps on the shoulders, no one could tell by looking at them that they are going to be wings, may even give it an awkward appearance. So this horse, these humans... It just has lumps. The wings haven't yet formed. And as people look at it, it looks awkward. Sometimes Christians look awkward. Sometimes people accuse us of being either hypocritical or ingenuine or inauthentic. Sometimes I've felt that way myself. 
I thought, where is this transformation? And yet, though I might look awkward, and though at times I might look ingenuine or inauthentic, and sometimes I might feel like uh, a failure or, or false, it's not true. I'm just waiting for that day when Christ returns. And people will see me and will see all of God's people in all their glory. But I'm here to tell you, and Paul is here to tell you, that glory is also for now. Chapter 15 has been all about the resurrection of Jesus and how that is about our resurrection. 58 verses. Paul takes 57 verses to explain the resurrection and explain the importance of it. He uses one verse to tell us the significance of it for us now. Right in verse 58, he tells us, in that very common way of Paul, the word is translated in English as, therefore. So on the basis of everything Paul has said, new glory forever. This wonderful news. Therefore, verse 58 reads, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Paul hasn't left them going, just hope for what's yet to come. Don't worry about this life. Just keep hoping. No, he says on the basis of that, give yourself fully to God now. Give yourself fully to his work now. On the basis of that, when we were looking at the string, on the basis of eternity, it's not that that red part is insignificant in comparison, not at all. Because of eternity, that red part becomes highly significant. We become signs. We become signs in the world. New glory forever. Signs to the rest of the world. And when we believe God's promise, we become signs in this life. And when we take hold of that promise, and when we believe upon it, when we gather together and remind each other of that, transformation takes place. It may not always be visible to you. It may not always be visible to others, but it is taking place. I am confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And he began it. This is his work, and he's done the biggest part of it. Our part is now to believe in the one whom he sent. That is Jesus. Jesus has done, the vic- done, done it already. He's gained the victory. We now believe and we gather together and remind each other of that. And we help each other when we forget. Just as I trust that you will help me remember when I forget. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That's what it means to gather and worship together. God has already gained the victory. Our task is to believe. That's why Paul says in verse 37, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Whatever burden, whatever struggle, whatever suffering, it's not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Amen.